0: Retail Revolution is a special, limited podcast created specifically for retailing and service design, a unique course that is part of the Fashion Management Graduate Program at Parsons School of Design in New York City. Each episode features in-depth conversations with guest experts in omnichannel retailing with myriad perspectives, technology, consumer engagement, data analytics, merchandising, and more. We pay special attention to the short and long-term challenges and implications of COVID-19, and potential opportunities to rethink retail's future. Retail Revolution is produced by Joshua Williams and hosted by Christopher Lacey. Both are assistant professors in the School of Fashion
1: at Parsons. Welcome to Retail Revolution podcast, where we discuss everything pertaining to retail and service design. I'm your host, Christopher Lacey, and joining me today is John Harari, CEO of Windows Wear, the world's largest and most comprehensive visual database of retail and e commerce. Welcome to the show, John.
2: Thank you. Thank you for
1: having me. I appreciate you making time for us today. I know it's a little crazy as as we continue in the weeks of self isolation and uncertainty. So I really do appreciate it. Excited to be here. So I want to kick it off to you with. I'd love for you to tell our listeners about you. I you know you and I have met before and and been able to chat briefly, but you didn't come from the fashion industry like that wasn't really your vibe to start with. So uh, can you, can you talk to us about that?
2: Sure. Born and raised in North Potomac, Maryland, went to school, Indiana University, studied business, studied finance, always wanted to do something entrepreneurially, never knew what that was going to be. That's why I chose finance, because at the very least in finance and in business, you learn about many different companies within many different industries. And ultimately, every company and every business, it all boils down to its financial statements. And you know, being able to be trained and, and knowing how to analyze and look at accounting statements, financial statements, learning how to raise money, ultimately can be applied to any company that I would eventually uh, start from the ground up. My first job out of college, I was an investment banking analyst at Lehman Brothers. That's actually where I became interested in fashion. Lehman Brothers had a very conservative dress code. You could only wear, as a guy, a, uh, a suit. And the suit had to either be navy, black, or gray in color. You could only wear a white or blue dress shirt. And you most people wore a very conservative tie. The only ways that I noticed men would differentiate themselves from a fashion standpoint in this very conservative global investment bank was some of the men in the office would wear pop-colored ties, so ties with a very uh, pop-color lime green, very bright orange, and they would always have a matching cufflink. <laughs> and and that was like trendy. That was like being on the edge. Another way that guys would be edgy or or, or fashionable, how to differentiate themselves in fashion, would be to... If you have a Ferragamo or an Hermes tie, basically if you were to take the top flap and put it over your shoulder, the bottom flap has the logo of Hermes or Ferragamo. And these guys would be walking around the entire day throughout the office like this. They're basically (laughs) walking around with their Ferragamo or Hermes logo right here for all the world to see. And that was like edgy. That was how people would differentiate themselves from a fashion standpoint. My first day walking into Lehman, everyone looked the same, talked the same, and dressed the same. And it was at that moment that I felt that I needed to physically do something different about the way way that I looked, because ultimately I didn't feel like I I wanted to conform to what everyone else was doing. For me, a person who had studied business and finance went to school. Uh, and learned that, and then, you know, got hired by Lehman Brothers, which is a big global investment bank, very prestigious at the time. Even though fashion and what you wear is so important, there was no one course, there was no one teacher, there was nothing that was ever taught to me at all about what you should wear, how you should think about different dress codes, how you can match colors, none of that. For me, being at this moment where I felt like I needed to physically do something about the way that I looked, but I didn't really know what I should do, what did I do? I went to Google and I typed in men's formal dress code. And when I did that, I discovered that wearing suspenders was part of a men's formal dress code. It's just that at Lehman Brothers, no one wore suspenders. And I'm like, you know what? I can wear this. This is what makes me different. And, you know, it's very like 1980s Wall Street, but it's in in the year, in the 2000s, no one was doing it. And I said to myself, I'm like, you know what, I I actually look good in suspenders and I'm going to wear them. And ultimately, no one can say that I can't because I am still, you know, conforming to the formal dress code that Lehman Brothers had at that time. So I waited until... The first day of my second year of being an analyst and I walk into the office and, you know, everyone, it's customary that you take your, your blazer off, you put it on, there's a hanger in your office, and then you're walking around with your shirt and tie all day. That first week where I wore the suspenders, all eyes were on me. <laughs> Thousands of people, every floor that I was on, everyone's looking at me in the perimeter of the building were all the senior bankers offices, like these are the, you know, these are the people that are making the big bucks uh, and they're on the perimeter of the building because they have the office view. And so I would be, sorry, they would have the window, they would have the window office and I would be walking past these senior bankers offices. And, you know, before that, then, because you're so low on the totem pole as an analyst, you know, they would look right through you. It's as if you didn't really exist. But for the first time, every single one was looking at me. And pretty much all of them, as I'm walking by, all called me into their office. None of them knew who I was. I didn't know who they were. And half of them said, who are you? What are you doing? You look aggressive. They never really said what I was doing was wrong. They just said I was aggressive. Aggressive is a word of pushing the boundaries. And then the other half said to me, I don't know who you are but you're awesome and keep on doing what you're doing
1: that's amazing
2: and it was at that moment that i realized that fashion is so powerful right here we are in this very conservative wall street investment bank and you know i take a risk of doing something and ultimately you know no one wants to be known for being different people want to conform people want to be a part of a community of other people and ultimately, I don't want to be known for the way that I look. I'd rather be known for my work and what I contribute to the organization. But I felt strong enough that I wanted to, you know be an independent human being and have my own voice, shake things up a little bit, and uh, do my own thing. And you know ultimately, that's what led me to being fascinated about the fashion industry because there is so much that goes into it. it's very creative. And so you're right, I didn't necessarily come from this industry, but my story very much makes me uh, appreciate how powerful this industry is, uh, not only on a societal standpoint, but also on a personal standpoint, because just by changing the way that you look, changing the way that who you are can make, can completely transform you psychologically and can also transform the way that people perceive you. And all of that, I think, is very powerful. So when you think about finance, you think about money and power and big banks. But you could also think fashion. And ultimately, fashion has a tremendous amount of power and influence as well. And it's just doing it in a different way.
1: I love that story because I I think that what you just said leads to why someone loves the fashion industry so much. You know, I, You know, for me, I've been in it for 24 years. That wasn't my intent to be in fashion. But to your point, when you get involved in it, it kind of like takes you over. And I, I love RuPaul's, you know, the statement of we're all born naked and the rest is drag because it really is. Like I can wake up every day and I get to be a different person because I am not one person all the time. And so how I dress or or what it is that, you know, an accessory I put on or whatever gives you this kind of little bit of something. Yep. Absolutely. Creativity. Yeah. So you, you go through this process, you understand you, you dig fashion. You're like, I'm over the finance world. It's still, you know, in your core and windows wear is just amazing. I mean, I, you know, I went to your event that you had, a few uh, more awards, your awards, which was just amazing because it, it, I think, you know, one of the things was it was an awards event where it was amazing, creative people. And quite frankly, some people I hadn't seen in years were at this and, you know, reconnecting with some of the team I have worked with at Gucci and different places in my career. And they were so pumped to be there because they were being celebrated. Yeah. Right. And I think. Yeah. The, the creators of Windows and, and, and packaged, they rarely get celebrated. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how did you build this community of people? Like, how did that happen? What, what caused you to do that?
2: Yeah. Well, I have to give, give credit, obviously, to Mike Nimzow and Tovar, the two other co-founders. Uh, Mike and I actually were colleagues at Lehman Brothers. That's how we er- originally met. And then I actually had a women's clothing store back in the day. And Raul, whose other co-founder uh, was the photographer for our store. And you know, the three of us came together about eight years ago. I know Josh is listening into this. And Josh was one of the first people because Josh and Mike uh, knew each other through Mike's sister. And Josh is actually someone that I think knew of Windowsware before we even launched the company eight plus <laughs> years ago, which is fantastic because we're obviously still connecting and engaging and sharing and working together you know but ultimately you know where it came from was here's a here's an industry that ex- that exists and there's so much that goes into this industry globally and just very simply no one is capturing it so just like you know google looked at the earth and is like here's an earth filled with stuff we got to capture this somehow so google set up uh, drones satellites cars with cameras and basically set out to capture the earth. And obviously when you capture the earth, it's data, it's information, and it's resourceful. People can use it for many different applications. Uh, And we said, let's do the same thing, but for retail, right? Uh, Retail is a trillion dollar industry globally. The products are always changing the way that the, the merchandising is changing, the technology is changing. So much is changing at all times within this industry. So, you know, if you're Google Earth, maybe you only have to capture the earth like once a year, you know, pretty much once you capture a building on a street, how many times is that, gonna, that building going to change? Whereas for retail, if you think about every website of every brand, and if you think about the social media, and if you think about even all their retail stores and windows and, and all the different products, I mean, you're, you're constantly having to capture... The same thing over and over and over again, because it's so dynamic from that standpoint, we said, okay, here's a big challenge you know there's all this or here's a big opportunity there's all this information out there, and you know you've been in the industry you mentioned for twenty five years and you know you know this, and everyone else knows this. everyone in this industry does competitive shopping, right? right so you work at one brand or you work somewhere, and you want to check out what other people are doing right so you're on different people's websites, you're getting other people's emails, you're checking out other people's new retail stores and shops and shopping shops and window displays. Like you're always out there, constantly out there seeing what's going on, getting inspiration, getting ideas, taking notes, sharing it with your team. And absolutely every human being in this industry does that process. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that process. But at the same time, we're like a comprehensive competitive research service. So just like people are out there photographing, we're out there photographing. Just like people are taking notes, we're doing trends and news articles. Just like people are identifying what they see and sharing it with other people, we're doing absolutely the same thing. And so, you know, we've, you, you mentioned like what you know why we're successful? Ultimately, because every everyone in this industry has this need of of content, uh, competitive research content, and you can never get enough of it, right? You can't be at all places at all times right. and capture it all. It's just impossible, right? Uh, and so we do that work. You know, we we don't say that we've got everything because there's still so much content out there that we're not capturing. At the same time, anyone can be a member of Windowsware. They can, they can be a part of our community. They can upload content. The more and more we have it, the more and more it grows. And ultimately, we're very much, just like with our Windowsware Awards, about showcasing the content and recognizing the people that create in this industry. Before Windowsware, you know, we looked at what was out there, and there wasn't anything global comprehensive and really inspiring that we saw. And that's why we also created Windows where to really give credit to all the people that work in this industry all around the world. And the things that they do is they're only there for a certain amount of time. And that's actually the big challenge why they're not really as well known. Because if you look at every other creative industry, I'm actually looking outside my apartment right now and I see a lot of buildings you could look up the architect, you know, the creative team behind every building that exists in New York city, you know, the same thing for art. If you go into a museum, you know, every piece of art, you know, who the actual artist is, you know, the story behind the painting. And obviously from a fashion design perspective, of course, if something's made from Ralph Lauren, you, you know, you assume it's Ralph Lauren, but Right, there's all these human beings behind the scenes, right, that created it for the brand, and the same thing is true for all the retail stores and window displays and uh, pop-up shops and websites and social media and email marketing. Like all behind all these creative pieces of content are human beings, and they ultimately want to be recognized too. So the very fact that we're recognizing them on our website, through our social media, through our Windows Wear Awards, people crave recognition. So the fact that you asked me to be a part of this podcast, I'm super excited by it. Why? Because I'm sharing who I am, what I do, why I do it. And the more we shine a light behind these creative people uh, and, and showcasing their work, the more excited they are to, to do it as well as to share with others the Windows Wear website and platform because ultimately we are the conduit to them getting a lot more recognition for who they are and what they do. Similar to like social media, right? Social media is a great way for people to showcase who they are. And before social media, it was kind of difficult to do that. So. But now social media is here and we're all connected and we are doing the same thing, but for all the people in this retail industry.
1: And I love that you do that. And I think, I think you know, absolutely to your point, that recognition, most people do n- have no idea uh, when it goes into window display and in-store setup, the absolute man hours that that entails, especially when we talk about things like holiday windows i mean and i and i think there's also this idea like that there's always a huge budget behind these initiatives and a lot of time the most creative that you've seen of things that happen there was like no budget and you have a group of 20 people in a warehouse, like hand crafting things and, and making these things that go up for the world to kind of experience this creativity. And it's, it's, it's this moment in time. And so I appreciate windows wearing that way. When we think of windows, there's also the other side of it where there are people who are like, oh my gosh, they, you know, they, they used all these materials and this was used and this got used. And so, you know, now it's all being thrown away. Because as you know, we've talked about this, you know, the fashion industry is, is, is constantly speaking of sustainability at this time, as, as we should be. Will fashion ever fully be sustainable? No. Are there things we need to do in our supply chain and in our process? Absolutely. But one of the things I, I always think about when we talk about sustainability and retail and service design, there are the windows and the things that, that go into that. And I know that there are a, a few companies that, Actually, they, they donate some of their products to art schools and things like that so that they can use them for set design and cool things like that. But I also want to talk about packaging because you you see a lot of the packaging that goes out in, in that creative design. Do you think that there's are finally going to be some movement in speed to implement more eco-friendly packaging designs? Like what you've seen happen, you know, Samsung... Now, when when you get your Samsung box, there's a QR code, and it tells you like different ways you can use your your Samsung box at, in your home. Do you see this happening in the, the fashion industry at all?
2: It's a great question. You know, and we you know we we were both at that panel that Macy's Parsons panel about a month ago. There was kind of a similar question about sustainability. I always think it's uh, funny when this industry talks about sustainability, because as you know, this is like the, the the most unsustainable industry as far as everything that it produces at all levels. And I will say that the key to sustainability is information. The more that we know the actual sizes and the products that our consumers want to wear and how they shop, the, the more sustainable as an industry will be will become at all levels. And ultimately with Windows, where we're just trying to provide as much information to retailers as possible to help them. And you know, you mentioned the the visual displays and how they get thrown away. You know, we have a museum and it's an initiative that we that we have and we'd ultimately very soon love to be in a position where we actually sell the pieces as one of a kind art pieces uh, to people also. around the world. That way we're we're generating more revenue for the people that work in this industry and and also generate more scholarship opportunities because we do have a a student scholarship initiative. So we're actually speaking to retailers about that right now. And we want to implement something like that this year, but obviously given the challenges, we'll probably be, be implementing it next year. So we're actually very excited by that. Sustainability, we might think of it like to the consumer, right? Okay. Maybe the package that I then buy doesn't have plastic wrapping in it. And maybe it's all cardboard or purely recycled paper, which is great. But then how did that product get to me? Like, look at the entire process from the raw materials that were used to produce this product, what got to me? And then if you're not being sustainable throughout the entire value chain, then you're really not solving the problem. You're, you're you can make a cute press release and you can you can put it out there, and yeah, the consumer's not gonna know the difference because you know, they're just seeing uh, something that's wrapped in, in a in a recyclable material, but like they have no clue how it got there. I'm a huge fan of shining the light because once you shine the light, once you just show how things are made, once you provide information to people, this is actually what's happening. I think we're going to, you know, we're going to be empowered to make better decisions and actually be more mindful. So similar to having the nutrition facts on every single product uh, that we consume for food makes us much more knowledgeable and aware of what we're putting into our bodies. This industry needs to think about doing similar things to really give people a a true understanding of, of what they're actually doing. Because right now, the consumer has no clue. And, you know, we, we can, I wouldn't say that we can care less because I think naturally as human beings, we we want to be sustainable. Uh, and I think we all value sustainability, but then if we see something horrific, we will change our behavior because, you know, we know and we can see the, the result of our actions, but I don't think the industry is, is doing that. So.
1: I think to your point, I think, What we will see, especially, you know, as we start to come around and, and, you know, six months after, you know, this current pandemic, because we were we were headed in a direction of going how transparent we need to start being about our, our value chains and our supply chains. And I think there's going to be a desire from the consumer to understand from an ethical and sustainable standpoint of what is happening and how is this getting to me and how is it made and who are the hands that made it? And I think that's, that's going to come to light more and more. I think, you know, even after watching, it's so funny. I watched the movie, uh, Dark Water. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's about, no, it's about DuPont and, and Teflon and what Teflon does to your body and how for 40 years they poison an entire town. And, how once Teflon cracks, it it literally goes into your bloodstream and poisons you and the whole big thing. And it's so funny because after I saw it and I was like... Yeah, I
2: think it's called the uh, like forever material, like basically a material that stays in your body forever. Forever. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm like, oh, great. And so what do I do? i I talking to my friend and then it's like, buy all ceramic. I'm now ordering all ceramic pots and pans because now that I know, it changed me so yeah. dramatically, right? Yeah yeah and because things change you dramatically, we're in this situation. obviously, there's fear with it, right? You know, because that's what we do we 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 become afraid of a situation and how we start engaging with our environment changes. I, I think about the physical space for retailers after this is that once we start reopening our cities and and start really engaging with physical space, not in a grocery store, right? What is yeah. that? going to look like and how is that experiential design going to change how do you see the future of it changing if at all
2: change comes quickly and it comes rapidly but also change takes a long time you know both those things are true so you know do i see systematic uh, crazy shifts uh no you know other people might i don't do I see things that should have been changed long ago? That this will accelerate them to change? Yes. What I mean by that are uh, the department stores. Do we need two hundred thousand square feet of shopping space filled with products? I don't necessarily think so.
1: So wait, you know I'm not letting you move from that, right? Because <laughs> I want to. I want to go. Yeah. Ahead because I agree. I. You know. Look. I. I do think that this is. Uh, about to definitely become a less is more situation, right? Because everyone's going to really start being far more conscious about what they buy and the quality of what they buy. Right. And so it won't be about you having the space with tons of product in it and moving around, you know, 2,500 square foot of space for that, or, you know, 30,000 square foot of space. So what, why do you feel that way?
2: Yeah. Look, I don't look what I was saying was like 200,000 square feet. Because I do think if you're a global brand, Gucci, Adidas, Nike, could you take over a Fifth Avenue uh, flagship with 50,000 square feet of space and make that like your, you know, your experience uh, flagship store? Absolutely. Right. I don't think that this is going to change that. I'm talking about the department stores where it's multi-brand. You're not necessarily selling your own merchandise. You're strictly a retailer. And you're just talking about a massive, essentially a massive warehouse filled with tons of merchandise, right? Because u- ultimately, uh, a website like Amazon or even your own company's website is essentially that service. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, don't have, you, don't, you might not necessarily need that t- 200,000 plus square foot space in order to uh, accommodate that. And I think that that's been a trend anyway with department stores, you know, if you look at the the history of department stores, you actually would have seen, you know, back a hundred years ago when all the department stores stores first started, yes, it was very much convenience in a sense that in one place, you had all the options and all the merchandise was there uh, at your fingertips, but it was also experience. Yes. A hundred years ago, the department stores were amazing. They had the best restaurants. They had the best barbers. They had theaters. They had showers. They had lockers. It was the place to see and to be seen. Our department store is now a place to see and to be seen. Now, I'm not sure. I, I think that there's other places that people want to go to that that is more the case. Where, you know, where you're just like where you're posting on Instagram, where you're at, uh, it dictates what is your brand and Mm -hmm. people are going to the restaurants, they're going to the places, they're going to the museums, they're going to the exhibits, they're going to the shopping destinations that they know that when they post that on social media, they are aligning their brand with something trendy and cool and relevant and that will never change. And you know these department stores haven't really fulfilled that need in right. that way. And even if they have, they're still way too big than what they should be. So I do think you'll see that. And then the second thing is online fashion shows. If you look at the history of Fashion Week, doing the fashion shows was a great way of getting the latest products the latest fashions, the latest trends, the latest styles, to be seen by the right target audience in a very private, not really a marketing way, just more of a way of communicating what the latest styles are to the right buyers and to the right you know, influencers of the time. You know now we see, you know, fashion week splattered all over the Internet, splattered uh, all over social media, and it's very expensive to produce a show and it's time consuming, and it only happens X amount of times per year in major cities, and it takes a lot of coordination. Who said that a fashion week or a fashion show is the right model? It's been a model for maybe a century, but who's to say that that's the right model going forward? And I think you're gonna see designers really for the first time embrace, because they have to. It's it's really not necessarily by choice, more like by force. That they now have to implement digitally forward opportunities of experiencing the latest products and leading with digital, leading with online. And you know, once we get back to the physical world and physical fashion shows and all that, I think that could nicely complement it. But I, those are the two things that I could see out of all this.
1: Right, fantastic. So now I get to ask you a question. I'm, I've been wanting to ask you this actually since we first met. Okay. What is your favorite physical space installation and why?
2: All right. I will tell you my personal favorite, because I, I think it just speaks a lot about my personality and as well as the value that I see it, it does. Saks, during the holidays, they turn their whole facade uh, a Christmas winter wonderland for, I think, from 4 p.m. till about midnight Every 10 minutes, they do this spectacular light show on the facade of their building. That to me, I think throughout the entire year is something that I think is an amazing thing that Sachs does to give back to the city, uh, to create such a spectacle on Fifth Avenue, because where they are physically located is pretty much like right in the center of Fifth Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. And, you know, right across the street is the, uh, you know, the Rockefeller center and the Christmas tree, you know, no one is telling Saks they have to do this. It's doing the whole thing on the exterior of the building, right? So they're not even doing it inside the store where it actually be generating a lot of sales and sales opportunities. Uh, but obviously they're doing it for other reasons, for marketing, for engagement, for social media, for giving back to the city they really maintain the magic of shopping and Christmas and holiday in New York City and especially all the lights that they put on the facade of their building uh, in making it an absolutely spectacular uh, show and performance.
1: I agree with you. I think think that's one of those things where they do exactly what a a holiday window is intended and, and holiday installation is intended to do, which is really, Especially in New York, because you've got so much tourism that happens at that time is you you set yourself as this this light and this beacon of a moment and an experience that people had when they were in New York at you know, Christmas time, at holiday time, and that that stands in, in their memory. For me, Hunter Boots and Hunter, the, yeah. the outerwear yeah. brand yeah. from Scotland did a pop-up location in Grand Central Station. And it was small, but it was so memorable to me because I, I you know, would hop on Grand Central to, to, to take the Metro North. And so in all of this pandemonium of moving very quickly, they established this pop-up store where when you walked into it, they put a hunter coat on you, raincoat, uh-huh. and you walked on moss. And they had this mist. And so they made it smell and feel as if you were walking through the Scottish Highlands. That's cool. It was insane to me. And I was like, I needed this at this moment. So, you know, I like Hunter. I really do. But now, like, after that one experience, I was like, every time I think of Hunter, I think the Scottish Highlands. And so, you know, of course, what's crazy is but I'm also a retail guy, I got on the train and I was like, yeah, yeah. let go really check out what Hunter has, you know? And so now I'm like on their website while I'm on the Metro North, like yeah, yeah. shopping Hunter. And I thought, you know, this this was amazing because it really wasn't even about selling something. They What they wanted to do was create nature in such a busy city atmosphere. And have you experienced what Hunter was all about in its history? And I, I think that was a great pop-up experience.
2: Look with, with digital and online right now, the way that it is, e-commerce is great when it comes to, you know, buying merchandise and accessing the product, but it's very difficult to experience the brand in the internet's current form. Right. The internet and digital in the future will be completely different, but the internet and digital right now. It's great. It's like a two dimensional thumbnail catalog of images, which is a great way of accessing product. But it's very difficult to understand the brand and the identity of the brand, and also establish an emotional connection with the brand. And that's where the physical pop up comes in, right? Which you mentioned. And brick and mortar is a great way to experience both, right? You can experience the brand, you can also experience the product. And as we move digitally, We'll see digital not just being a tool to access the product, because I think we can all agree we've done that. It's every product is accessible right now online, but we'll certainly see digital uh, being able to communicate the brand uh, more effectively. Retail is just about where is your consumer, right? If your consumer is spending half of their time online, well, then there's your retail moment. If your consumer is out and about in New York City, there's your retail moment. If your consumer is at the Madison Square Garden for three hours watching a basketball game, there's your retail moment, right? It's just about where's the consumer, where are they at, and how to effectively sell things to that consumer that they need or, or that they desire at that moment. And uh, you know, as we're, as human beings, spending more and more time online, Brands will have to create more and more strategies to engage those consumers, but also understanding that everything that we do online is still in a physical world somewhere at windows where with technology, with uh, digital content engagement, you know we just see the future as infinitely many more ways and opportunities for brands to engage with their consumers right if you just think about How many more things in the future will have a microchip connected to it? So every device in your house will be communicating with everything else and uh, shopping for you, suggesting products for you. Uh, Everything will be personalized more to you. Uh, And if you're a brand, you've got so many more options at your fingertips and you're going to need to stay even more ahead of the curve because things are going to be happening much quicker than they're currently happening and also information, right? Like right now we're all stuck in our apartments or at our houses because of information, right? If everyone knew, if there was proper testing and testing of every human being, we would all know who, have, who has COVID, who doesn't have COVID. And then you could create strategies around people that have it, make sure that they're quarantined. If you don't have it, you know, you have to, it, you can only engage with people that don't have it, but you can only know that with information. So ultimately, you know, having information, obviously having a, a cure is, is the ultimate thing. But, you know, before we get there, just having proper information is something that we can all make better use of if we all had it, because the information is out there. It's just a matter of identifying it and sharing it. And, you know, ultimately at Windows, where we still have that same business model, it's just that our information is for retailers and you know the information that we provide is unique it's exclusive and you know it's only going to grow in importance as things become more complicated
1: in the world awesome john i appreciate that as the that's the perfect last thought i think for what we've talked about and what windows wear does and what it's all about it's it's information to create shared experiences and knowledge amongst creative people and and even those who are not in the creative field at the moment, but maybe who want to get into that space. What I'd like to know is, you know, for our listeners, last question is how do they stay abreast of what's happening with Windows Wear? And if any of our listeners wanted to even reach out to you, is there a way they could do that?
2: Yeah, so absolutely. So, you know, anyone who's listening can sign up for an account at windowsware.com. Uh, it's www.windowsware, uh, windows and then w-e-a-r.com. Uh, for me personally, uh, John Harari, j-o-n-h-a-r-a-r-i.com. That's my personal website. My Windowsware email is john, jon harari, harari at windowsware.com. All of the Windowsware social media is at Windowsware and then my personal Social media is at John Harari. Anyone can connect with me, share content with me, You know, share any way that I can help them. I'm happy to. But I'll also say everyone is digitally connected, right? You can reach any human being right now at your fingertips and they're probably going to be available. So now is the best time for networking, right? To reach out to people that you're inspired by, connect with people, that you think maybe one day, sometime in the future, you would want to be where they're, they're at. And I would be very direct. Let them know, hey, you're someone that I think is awesome. You're someone that I would aspire to be. You have five or 10 minutes to talk to me. Everyone at this moment can value connecting with other people because you never know where people are going to be. And uh, you know the more people that you connect to, the better. So I appreciate that you had that you guys had me on this because obviously this is all an opportunity for people to share their stories and connect with others and ultimately the more that we do that the more that we're better off so I'd leave that as a final you know lasting thought for anyone that's listening.
1: Thank you so much John for your time you've been amazing thank you for the advice thank you for giving us insight into Windows Weird and we look forward to speaking to you again soon take care.
2: Thank you Chris thank you Josh take care everyone bye.
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retail Revolution. A very special thank you to everyone who has helped make this podcast possible. Our guests, our students, and fellow faculty at Parsons School of Design, especially in such an extraordinary and unprecedented time. Our theme music was composed by Spencer Powell. Be well and stay tuned for our next episode.